0: Hey, I'm excited to be talking to Anthony Scarmucci, the founder and co-managing partner of SkyBridge Capital. But most of you know him from his stint as the White House Communications Director for the current administration. And I'm telling you, this show is just jam-packed with all kinds of revelations. I'm laughing because you're not going to believe what he says. I'm known for some saucy language, but this thing is going to have like not one red mark next to it, but probably about 30 you got to listen to this i'm telling you he is not a fan of the trump and dump trump That doesn't even say what he wants to do to trump so you got to be listening to this thing i'm telling you it's big now anthony scarmucci is an accomplished businessman and a financier a best selling author of four books he's a tv commentator he also serves in a number of corporate boards, including the Kennedy Center Corporate Fund Board, the Brain Tumor Foundation Board, and Business Executives for National Security. I want to get those in there because he's a well-rounded guy. You're going to listen to him. He's very direct. He is a New Yorker times 10, and you're going to hear it come through, and he takes the gloves off. Welcome
1: to all business, the mooch. Main Street to Wall Street, global business celebrity and former Fortune 100 C-Suite executive Jeffrey Hazlett takes you inside the good, the bad, and the ugly of businesses today. Saddle up. It's time for All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett.
2: Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation.
0: They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize
1: and
2: keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com
0: with the code P-O-D. Hey, you're an accomplished business leader, owner. You know, mostly I would Anthony, I'd call you a money guy without question. So how the hell did you get involved in politics? Short answer is I got
2: into politics. I didn't have a network. I thought it was an easy way to meet very successful people. And so I was a Republican. So I wrote my first check for Rudy Giuliani. I then ended up working for Governor Pataki. And 30 years later, there's about 15 or so politicians that I worked for uh, raising money. And then obviously it crossed over into something more theatrical when uh, President Trump was elected.
0: Yeah, I got my start in business in politics. I was on the Democratic side. I worked for George McGovern when he was US Senator, Tom Daschle when he was a Senate majority leader and a whole host of others. Then went on to become a lobbyist and and that was always good for business too. How would you describe the business of politics today? Well, it's totally
2: different. Those were two very honorable guys, by the yeah. way. I thank I knew you both of them. McGovern later in life, obviously, but Daschle, you know, 15 years ago, two very honorable guys, obviously different parties than me. Yeah, I think we're just totally different now, ridiculously tribal. We're doing something now that's going to really hurt the global society. We can't even argue with each other anymore because we don't have the same set of facts. So, yeah. you, know, you know, people are getting their facts screeched in from the left or screeched in from the right. Or if I pick up my phone and I Google you, certain things come up because of my personality versus what would come up on your phone based on your personality. And so we've lost the Common wheel, if you will, and so now the politics is ridiculously tribal, ridiculously surgical. Trump took it to a whole new ball game with the viciousness and the vitriolic personal attacks. He brought that to a level. Yes, they were always killing each other. Thomas Jefferson said that John Adams was a hermaphrodite; he was at a man's head on a woman's body. I got, I got the personal attack business, but he took it to this like infantile berserkersoid. And now because that was successful, a lot of people are copying it. So it's bad. You know, hopefully it'll swing back. I mean, the good thing about America, it has consistently over the 240 years corrected itself and it's healed itself. And so hopefully that will happen
0: again. I mean, hopefully he's just an anomaly, tragic, historic figure. Yeah, I don't think he's the guy that created that. I think the guy who gave the Medal of Freedom to during the State of the Union is the guy that really created a lot of that stuff.
2: Listen, he created a lot of it. Obviously, Reagan signed the Equal Airwaves Act or whatever it was in the '80s that caused the rise of conservative talk radio. But Rush Limbaugh's not a candidate for the presidency. You know, he's you know he's saying bozo things on the radio as a talking head. This guy, the most sacred, most honorable position until this idiot showed up in it, was the presidency. And so he brought Smash Mouth smash jock, shock jock rhetoric into the presidency. I hear you. Russ Limbaugh has acted like an asshole for 40 years, but Trump is doing it at a presidential level.
0: Yeah, he's, he's added it at an exponential level, without question. And I've actually talked to him during his presidency, and he said, what would you do different? I said, I would like you to ask presidential. I would like to have to come home and not have to explain you to my wife. And he knows, well, I didn't vote for him. I did not vote for him. Look, I told you what my politics are. I'm on the other side. Right but he's, he has been a friend of mine for years, but at the same time, it's just like, I'm seeing someone that I didn't normally see. I'm surprised you were able to stay friends with them though, because if you
2: work with them, you help them with the uh, beauty pageant and you work with them on the show, I would say 90% of the people that work with them end up not having a relationship with them and hating his guts in one way, shape or another, you know, I would have been well-served just staying his friend or acquaintance. I don't, by the way, I don't think you were ever friends with him, so I just would challenge that intellectually because he's not the type of person that actually has friends because he's so egocentric and so me oriented that uh, you can't really say you were friends, so he doesn't give a shit about you. Kind of like being Facebook friends, right? Yeah, he doesn't give a shit about you. If he had a cold and you and I were standing in the way of a tissue and he had to kill both of us to get the tissue,
0: we are fucking dead, okay? So you're, you're not his friend, you know what I mean? You know what? That's a good analogy. I yeah. like that. I love this term that you called ridiculously tribal. I think that's a cool term to really kind of like show how we're in this tribal warfare amongst these other groups. We won't give on, on anyone. We won't give in any way, shape, or form. There's a level of right
2: cultural righteousness that's also taking place. The baby boomers really exemplified that. You can go back to the big chill movie. Everybody thought they were more special than their parents. Everything was rolled over in entitlements from the greatest generation And so with all that comes this hardened righteousness and sanctimony that we're right. And so that anybody that's off a syllable from us has to be wrong. And of course, now with keyboard worrying, and I really just think Trump is a keyboard worrying coward because you know he's such a pussy, he would never confront me face to face. He He would be gregarious and like fake charming in my presence. He would attack my wife on Twitter. But he would never be able to do that face to face because he's such a gigantic pussy. But what happens now is we're attacking each other anonymously on the net. You've got all of these uh, games that go on on the net as it relates to robotic technology, where there's bee swarms coming after each other. Will it end? I predict that it will because I'm a very big optimist on America. And I predict that the fever that we're in right now, we almost have like a coronavirus in politics. That fever hopefully we will break, and then we'll develop an immune system to some of the nonsense that's going on. But Trump has created a national crisis. We'll need a uh, constitutional amendment after he's out of office, whether it's one or four years from now. Almost
0: sounds like we're going to need a counselor when he's done.
2: Well, no, when he's done, when he dematerializes, he's sort of like the Night King in the Game of Thrones. Once he's gone, when you're that much of a personality cult, when you dematerialize uh, metaphorically, everyone else dissolves around you. So I don't think we're going to need a counselor. I think people will be scratching their heads 50 years from now saying, wow, you had somebody that has had severe mental illness that became president and was gaslighting and lying and doing all this crazy stuff. And there was a very large group of the population that was trying to be in a matched sailboat race with him to follow his sailboat. You know, he laughs at these people, you know, and I've told Sean Hannity this. He laughs at the sycophancy that comes from Sean Hannity or Russ Slimbaum. Or I mean the guy he laughs the most about is Lindsey Grant. I mean, he just laughs about how he's been able to corrupt their morals, have them disavow their personal integrity, have them disavow things that are so normal, like just saying things with honor and some level of dignity. You know, it's 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 sort of crazy.
0: So Mooch, I'm sitting here listening to this and it sounds like though you've had some epiphanies, you had some learnings, but I mean, you walked away from some big money. Could I remember I was trying to get you on one of my other TV shows at the time. Nicole Sawyer was my producer and we were trying to work. And then of course, boom, this thing calls, the call comes. You head over to the White House. Did you make a mistake in that process? I made a series of mistakes. So let's talk about the different
2: layers of mistakes. First of all, I've made a lot of mistakes in my life. I'm an entrepreneur, so. Don't we all? I tell young kids, if you're making mistakes, own them and be accountable for them. Amen. But then the second thing is you got to forgive yourself. I don't wake up in the morning, kick myself in the pants when I get up and say, wow, I made these colossal mistakes. I say, okay, I made those. Tomorrow's a new day. It's a great day. Let's advance the ball. I like to say, Anthony, no one died. You didn't die. No no one died, but I made a lot of mistakes. It was frog boiling types of mistakes. So let me take you through the frog boil, okay? okay? Remember, right? The frog is in cold water. You can kill the frog. If you try to shoot the frog in the boiling water, he hops out. So I'm in the bottom of the uh, pasta pot, and the water's heating up. And what's happening is I'm a Republican fundraiser. I work for Scott Walker. I work for Jeb. Trump is calling to recruit me on several different occasions. Jeb leaves the race. It looks like Trump is going to be the nominee. He's a fellow New Yorker. Some of my friends are already working for him. I go over to Trump Tower, and then he says, I want you to be the co-chairman of my finance committee. I was hosting Wall Street Week at the time, so Fox wouldn't let me do that. So I became a committee man for him. And I began the process of raising him money. And so now I wrote an op-ed about this. It's called Trump Employment Syndrome. You start out hating the guy's guts. There's public statements I made in 2015 that said the guy's a bozo. Lindsey Graham made those statements. Mike Pompeo made those statements. Kellyanne Conway made those statements. Uh, Ted Cruz, Marco Rubio, Rand Paul, Mitt Romney. They all made the Trump stage one statements. I hate this asshole's guts. Then you go into stage two where you're like, okay, the son of a bitch is going to win and he's on my team. Let me equivocate. Let me use cognitive dissonance because I'm buying the car and let me find things about him that I like. So that's mistake number one. I should have never gone there. I applaud Jeb Bush for not doing that. Smarter than me. Probably just had more experience in politics with his family than I did. But now I'm in stage two. Kasich didn't do that either, I don't think. Kasich didn't do that. an honorable guy.
0: Both Jeb and Kasich were good candidates.
2: Yes. I respect those guys immensely for their judgment relative to my own judgment. So now I'm up here in stage two, morally equivocating and doing all the nonsense and allowing for the gaslighting and all all the bullshit. So, but that's not really the biggest mistake. The biggest mistake was Trump offered me to be the OPL director. And that would have been a good job for me. That was like his chief networking officer. And Priebus and Bannon went and blocked that job. And so it's interesting because I was I was with one of my former White House colleagues this morning. We were talking about what they were doing behind my back, which is typical Washington nonsense. And so that was colossal mistake number two, was when they blocked me, I was like, okay, I'm going to go kill those guys. So I picked up the phone. I called Trump. When we were on good terms with each other, we talked to each other very candidly. Also, I think he respected the fact that I came from a blue collar family and made what I've made. So he would actually pay attention to what I was saying because he knew I didn't give a shit about him and couldn't be bought by him. And I said, these two guys are the two biggest assholes I've ever met. When you want to get rid of them, call me. I'll come to the White House and I'll take care of it for you. And unfortunately, he made that call. And this is my biggest, biggest mistake that I've made so far. My pride and ego were involved in the decision-making. And when your pride and ego are involved, your emotions are going up and your intelligence is going down. I said, okay, great. I'm going to go in there. I'm going to kill those two sons of bitches. So I went in there like Yosemite Sam, all guns a blazing. And there was a journalist that I trusted. His father worked with my dad in construction for 50 years. He's an Italian guy from Long Island. I trusted him. And I said that, you know, world famous thing that I said about Steve Bannon, which was fucking very funny, by the way, I might add, I thought it was fucking funny, but it wasn't inappropriate. So when Kelly fired me, I said to General Kelly, no problem. I get it. I made a mistake. I have to own the mistake and accept the consequences of the mistake that I made. And so uh, him and I are on great terms, by the way. Him, I have a lot of respect for. He's a a very uh, good man. He's a great guy. And uh, he's a Gold Star family member. And so listen, uh, him and I made peace. Uh, He was my keynote speaker at two of my conferences. We just spoke together at the Arizona Biltmore a month ago. We had a great time together. He's a very special guy and uh, people should listen to him because, you know, he knows how immoral, how immoral. And I'll just repeat what he has said publicly. Guy's going to get impeached again because he has no set of morals. He has no set of standards or managerial values. And so, you know, he's he's setting himself up for another nightmare.
1: C-suite Radio.
0: Do you think we can come back to the middle and instill civility to this process? Yes, no question. Yeah. What do you think's got to occur?
2: Get him out. Trump is moving full-blown fascist now. He's controlled the Senate. He's got the Justice Department. He's got a lot of the courts through judicial appointments. So it's classic Umberto Echo checklist of dictatorship. If he moves to try to suppress the vote, like they did to Stacey Abrams in Georgia, you know, yeah, then you you know you're gonna you're gonna have a problem beating him. You know, the bad news about this era of American history, look at what one big asshole can do to create dissension and terror and toxicity. Well, the very good news is a good leader, someone who's got good moral principles and grounding and is a real human being could could make a difference and begin the process of healing.
0: At the same time, though, Anthony, I sit here and say there's two other branches of government. There's checks and balances in the system. And well, I say that, yeah, okay, he, he is that bad. I mean, he can be that bad. Where are, the other two, where are the other two players showing up? Well, I mean, I think
2: that's a disgrace. I mean, go back through the Constitution. There's 27 amendments to the Constitution. The last one was during the Clinton era. That was a procedural one. But the real big last one was the 26th Amendment. That was the Voting Act Amendment in yeah. 1965. So from my perspective, we haven't had a colossal, seismic-changing amendment in 55 years, but yet you have 27 amendments, you've gotten an amendment once every eight years. So Trump has set us up now for a constitutional amendment. We've now discovered that one amoral rogue can subvert and intimidate a large group of people. He's held hostage the Republican side of that Senate. You know, it's a good thing that the Democrats, I'm a Republican, it's a good thing that the Democrats won the House because they provided at least some kind of check on this nonsense. That Senate is a rogues gallery of cowards other than Mitt Romney, and they'll go down in history as a bunch of equivocating, cowardly, immoral sycophants. And so, you know, that sucks, but we'll need a constitutional amendment. You're going to have to be in a position now to check the president. He's immunized himself from the 25th Amendment because he's got so many acting cabinet officials, you couldn't get the 25th Amendment invoked if you tried. So You're going to need a 28th Amendment that allows the president to stand trial. You know, if you're going to be a criminal, and remember, the GOA said that what he did was criminal. And so if you're going to be a criminal and be the president, well, you know what? It can't be a political debate or a partisan issue to remove somebody like that. So we're going to have to put a check on power going forward from this asshole.
0: When were you standing in the White House or or in D.C., and you realized at the moment, like, I really fucked up.
2: You ever see It's a Wonderful Life?
0: Yeah, sure. Okay,
2: so you have to imagine, when I got the OPL job, I was getting 5,000 emails a day into my email box. When they told me I wasn't getting the OPL job, I went from 5,000 emails a day to 100 emails a day, and they were all Boca Raton timeshare spam. You, You follow what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, and then when true. I got the comms job, they went up to 5,000 again, right? Yep. So you get to see all that inauthenticity of human beings. Right. And then I'm coming out of my press conference. I think this is sort of funny. Stephanie has been there for 35 mooches. That's mooches being 11-day periods.
1: Mm-hmm. But
2: I'm one-nothing on her on press conferences. She hasn't been able to do a press conference. Mostly related to Trump's personality. But when I came out of the press conference, and I saw the Malley coming out of the press conference, and the character assassination starting, and the shots coming from inside the tent, like previous and Bannon using their hit squads in the press to come after me. In addition, I mean Chuck Schumer says something really funny. He says, "Yeah, we were going to try to kill you, but your your own team killed you before we could kill you." I thought that was really funny. Actually, it's pretty good. For Ch- Chuck's pretty decent guy. Is it? Oh, I like him. I yeah, I think he's a great guy. I mean, you know, I mean, he's trying to do the right thing. And so, but anyway. I went back to my hotel room at the Trump International Hotel on July 21st, 2017, and I felt like I was hit, hit, bounced my car into the bridge and bumped my head. I was Jimmy Stewart in It's a Wonderful Life, and I was in this alternate reality. I was also fighting with my wife, almost on the verge of a divorce at that moment. And so I was like, "Jesus, over this stuff?" Uh well, we were having some personal issues and uh We're fighting over some things that were family related, personal related. And then she hates Trump almost as much as Melania hates him. I mean, you know, Melania's got to hate him more than anybody in civilization, but she was up there. And so she was like, no way do I want you to work for this guy because he's he's toxic and doesn't treat women well, blah, blah, blah. I did that blue collar American dream thing. You know, I started idealizing the notion that I could go to Washington
0: and help people and I made a mistake. It's also serving your country. I mean, Kasich, for yeah, instance, I, I, I remember like he, was on, he was on The Tonight Show and, and someone said, well, now you're supporting Trump. He said, well, it's kind of like getting on a plane and you're flying and hoping the pilot does a shitty job. You, you don't want that to happen. Listen, I, I don't want that to happen, but I want Trump defeated
2: because yeah. he's causing so much systemic stress and he acts like a berserk asshole. I mean, he like a, just imagine a degenerative bipolar maniac getting the office of the presidency. And so what's also happening is people are cautious to pulverize them because we have this respect for the American presidency. You know, this is the successor of George Washington and Abraham Lincoln. And so many of us, myself included, believe me, have hyper-normalized some of his activity. But if you step back and you look at his activity and you pretend you're a historian reading today's news as if it was 50 years ago you'd be looking at that news saying, are you fucking kidding me? This guy is a fucking asshole, has to be removed immediately. And so Trump stopped attacking me on Twitter because he didn't like the subtweets, you know, because he's hitting me. What do you think is going to happen? I'm going to be like a pussy like Ted Cruz. He goes after Ted Cruz's wife. And now Ted Cruz is like one of his sycophants. And I mean, it's like a revolting thing. So to me, once he realized that I was going to pound him into the ground, he stopped hitting me. You know, he'll... I, I think I called him Fidel Adolf Trump, the notorious FAT once on Twitter. And I mean, you can't fat shame the son of a bitch. So I ended up in Twitter jail for 12 hours. Once I got the dictatorship in with the fact that he's an obese bastard, he doesn't like that. You know, he doesn't like that. Like, he knows he's fat and he's orange and he's disgusting. And by the way, you were with him. So you would know, there are very few people that hate themselves more than Donald Trump. And, you know, there's very few people that are as insecure as Donald Trump.
0: Are you telling me you have a mic-up person right outside the door like he does all the time? Who? Yeah. Trump. Trump. Makeup, oh, oh makeup. yeah. A makeup artist. Yeah. No, you can tell. I don't have. Look, I,
2: I, this is. Uh, That's you. That's just you. Days of fatigue on the road. I just got back from Abu Dhabi. So, Are you having a good time now? In my life? Yeah. It's the best time ever. I mean, I, I patched it up with my wife. I'm growing this business behind me. Yeah. That means are up 24%. And I think I'm serving the country way more in the position I'm in now as one of his adversaries and I'll be working this fall to defeat him. And so I think once he's defeated, we can all step back and figure out what we learn from this experience and then hopefully create some levels of transformative political leadership where we can pull ourselves together and explain to people what's happening to them in terms of the way they're digesting news, digesting information. What they're looking at on social media is just, frankly, creating too much anger. A country whose first name is United shouldn't be this tribal and shouldn't be this divided. So we have to fix that as well. But we got to
0: get rid of this asshole first. All right, my friend. Well, listen, this has been a lively session. I appreciate it. I'm glad you're back. I'm glad the mooch is back and doing what you're doing. In now, where big- are you, though? If you don't mind me, you're in the New York Public Library. And what's going on behind you? I'm in South Dakota. I, I, I usually oh, am in the and I came out. I have a ranch here in South Dakota, so I'm doing the interview from out here in South Dakota. Okay, well, why do you have the New York Public Library behind you? You don't know what I mean. It has to be a piece of furniture from somewhere. I oh. have no idea. All right. it's so. very cool. I like it. I like it. And here's the I got the Brooklyn Bridge over here, so I try to keep a little connection in New York and South. God bless you. Let's stay in touch with each other, okay? All right, brother. I just want to, before we hang up, Trump's going to lose. All the elites think
2: he's going to win. I got back from Milken. And Davos and all the elites think he's going to win, which gives me great confidence that we can beat him.
0: All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Hey, at the end of every show, I like to talk about what I learned. Wow, I learned he doesn't like Trump. Did you pick up on that? Did you really hear that? Was it that subtle tone to it? No. I tell you one thing I learned that I really liked from it was ridiculously tribal. It's cool to be tribal, but not so much that you can't have some intertribal relationships. You know what I'm saying? To get across the board. You know, back in the old days, the Native Americans, first Americans here in the United States used to be very tribal, didn't get along with the other ones. So they fight all the time. And then they had to become friends against a bigger enemy. Ah, go figure. So I think that's a pretty good term. The other one I like was culturally righteousness. Culturally righteousness. We should do without that. We got to get rid of that word righteousness. I don't like it. And that's that's what I learned. It was a reminder today that uh, we got a higher calling in this country. And the moot said it. United. United. I thought that was a pretty good way of ending it at the end of the interview. So that's what I learned. Hey, don't forget. Tell your friends. Listen in here at All Business with Jeffrey Hazit right here on C-Suite
1: Radio.